You're listening to the Vineyard Church's UK and Ireland podcast. The following talk was taken from our youth festival, Dreaming the Impossible, over the summer. Tickets for DTI 2023 are now available to buy, and you can either pay for the full ticket price up front or pay it in six instalments, helping to spread out the cost. Just head to dreamingtheimpossible.org to find out more. Good morning, DTI. Oh, no, you need, we need some more, right? Good morning, DTI. There we go, there we go. Right, we're going to start with a game. So I'm going to need five people from this side and five people from this side. We'll go one, two, three, four, five. You're on this team. And one, two, three, four, five. You're on this team. You can probably guess what this game is. Tug of war? Yeah. There we go. All right, so you take that side. You take that side. One, two, three, four, five. One, two, three, four, five. Cool. Okay, so this thing in the middle needs to be on the white line. Yep. You know how it works, right? You pull. Whoever crosses over. Actually, we'll go. Whoever crosses over this. Huh? This is close enough, right? We'll see whoever backs up most loses. Ready? Three, two, one, go. Cheer for your side. Cheer, 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 cheer. That was, uh, that was, that was fast. Game over. Go sit down. Give them a round of applause. Oh gosh, that was, that was very, very uneven. Anyway, so today we were, we're going to talk about something, and that tug of war is just to get us thinking, because it's a really fun game to watch, but when we think about the winning side and we think about the losing side, the main difference between the losing and the winning side is the winning team's ability to stand firm when they were getting pulled against and they had some opposition or pressure against them. Like when the other team was pulling and trying to knock them down, it was their ability to be resilient that made them win. And you know what? Your generation is living through some really crazy times. Like you've just lived through a global pandemic. We've had climate change and heat waves and all this stuff going on. You've got periods of complete and utter homeschooling, exams, and mental health issues and anxiety is on an all-time high. We've got advances in technology, which means that you can have the opinions and the weight of the world at your fingertips and in your pocket. And there are so many things that are pulling you in so many different directions all the time that can make you feel unstable. There's so much coming up against this generation, but the Bible has a message of hope for each and every one of you on how we can stay and stand firm. Jesus gives us the key to be able to be in this generation, in this time, and to be set apart, to stand firm. And don't you want that? Yes, you do. And so we're going to look at what Jesus has to say about that. Um, in a parable that Jesus tells, we've looked at a parable already this week, in Matthew 7, 24 to 29. Now for some context, Jesus has just preached something called the Sermon on the Mount. And this is where he talks about what it's like to live with him as our king. And he says some amazing things, some profound things that completely change how people are thinking of the world. And after he's finished saying that, he tells us this parable. So let's read. 
says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. Now, I love parables because Jesus uses these seemingly simple stories to tell us really big and profound things about life, about his kingdom, about what it is to, to live in this planet. So let's break this one down, okay? So first, we've got these two houses that have been built and they represent aspects of our lives, that the things that we build up, the things that we are passionate about, the things that God has put us in community with. And, and so let's think of some examples. We've got our friendships and our families. We've got our passions and our dreams. We might have our TikTok and our social media accounts. Those are things that we're building. We've got our athletics, football, drama, dance, the teams and the sports that we're a part of. These all count as part of our building. And so I want you to think, like, what's in your house? And these are just a few examples. But also the question is, what are you building your house on? Now, from the outside looking in, I imagine both of these houses probably look pretty stable at the start. But then we move on to our next point, And that is the wind and the streams and the rain. And if you were camping last night, who felt the wind? Yeah, it was strong. I was like, is my tent going to go over? But we made it through. The wind and the streams and the rain that hit the house. And this is a bit like that tug of war match that we just saw at the front. These are the things that pull against, what we're, pull against our house, that come against the things that we care about and that we're passionate about. And some of these things, some of these things can be really, really painful and really difficult. And some of you right now might be going through some storms. For example, someone you love dies. Like when I was 13 years old, my dad died of cancer. And that shook up my family, my view of God, my view of the world, my understanding of myself. It impacted my emotions and I felt scared to feel really, really happy, but also really, really sad. And so a lot of my emotions would switch off. Maybe it could be that it's something to do with your health, that you have an injury or something's happened that means you can't do the things that you're passionate about doing anymore. And it can make you question, what is, what is the purpose of your life in this world? Or it could be that you've got some kind of medical thing that's going on. I know when I was a teenager, when I was 13, I had braces. And that was fine that time around. But the day before I turned 18, I was like, I need to rinse my free healthcare before the dentist start charging me. So I went to the dentist and they were like, hmm, we have a bit of a problem. Yeah, so after they gave me braces, my teeth, instead of growing this way, they started growing this way. And they started, he drew a diagram of my teeth and just started crossing off all the teeth that, would, that would, they'd have to remove if, if they didn't give me braces again. And that was fine, but they removed five teeth, including a front middle tooth. And that made me feel super self-conscious. Whenever I would um, smile, I would cover my mouth. And I realized after some time, whenever I was speaking, I would speak with my mouth tilted to try and cover up that gap. 
Maybe the win for some of you is school, and some people in your school have said some nasty things about you to your face in a group chat on social media, and it makes you feel insecure, it makes you feel unloved and lonely and vulnerable. Maybe the people that have said things to you are your parents, or people who are really, really close to you. But Jesus, in the midst of this wind that he addresses Israel, that the struggle is real, he brings us a message of hope. He comes to these people, including us, and he tells us that he has something for us and offers us a way to be able to stand firm in spite of what's going on. So regardless of what the world looks like, regardless of what you're going through, he gives us this key to stand firm. And when we look at this parable, the thing that made the difference between these two houses was the foundation. One of these houses had the word of God actively as a foundation in their life, and the other one didn't. So it was like a house built on the rock and a house built on the sand. So when we think about what our houses are built upon, what is your foundation? Like when the winds blow, when things come against your friendships and your family, or against your dreams and your passions, what is your foundation built on? And is it stable? Now, hands up here if you like the beach. Anyone here? Does anyone here live by the beach? Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, so I used to live in Bournemouth for a few years and I lived by the beach. I went there a couple of times. And the thing is, I love the beach, but what I don't like very much is sand in my feet, right? Sand, it gets all up in your toes. You're trying to walk in a straight line and you're like slipping and sliding everywhere and everything's just a lot more difficult. When it starts raining, it's all mushy and it's just, it's just not very... Thank you. I had someone say preach. We love it. It's just, it's not very stable. And if you compare a rock and sand, they are incomparable. Like you can't stand on a rock as you would stand on sand because a rock is solid, a rock is firm, a rock is stable. A rock doesn't easily um, change shape or form when it's hit with weather conditions. And Jesus is saying that when we listen to his words and we put them into action, that for each and every one of us that we can stand firm, we can stand on a rock as opposed to stand. stand. So if we're in the midst of struggles or challenges, we need to apply this truth, the truth that he tells us in this parable to our lives. So we've got three things that I want us to remember, and I'm going to need you guys to participate and repeat after me, okay? There we go. Cool. Number one, our first point, recognize the rock. Delightful. Okay, so we need to actually recognize that the words that Jesus has to offer us are firm enough for us to build our lives on that it's actually worth building our lives on because Jesus' words are far better than our own wisdom, our own ways, which is essentially the sand. Because if you think about it, if someone is speaking to you and you don't respect or think anything of what they're saying, then you're not going to put it into action over your own thoughts and your own feelings. For example, I've got a five-year-old nephew, and if he were to come up to me and try and teach me how to drive... I'd be a little bit weary of listening to him over my a driving instructor who's got years of experience, who knows the laws of the land, who's turned hopeless learners into confident drivers. So, you know, I wouldn't really take what he had to say into as much consideration. And Jesus' words, they carry wisdom and authority like an instructor, as opposed to my nephew. But to be fair, he is actually really, really good at dodgems. Like we, this is a side note, but we went, um, we went to a fun fair last year. And you know when you've got a kid and you're, like, you're entertaining them, you, you make them think they're driving, but really you're holding on to the wheel. 
he like shook me off and he started skirt, skirting around. Like all these adults were looking at him like, who is this boy? And I was, I was in the same. I've got a video of it somewhere if anyone finds me and wants to see it. But yeah, so we just need to recognize that the words of the instructor is still above the words of us and our, our own words and our own thoughts. Because even though my nephew, Shaw, could show me how to drive on dodgems, if I went for a driving test, he would not help me pass. We need to recognize the rock. For me, part of me recognizing just how powerful Jesus' words are was when I was part of a church community. And I'd see all of these people whose lives definitely weren't like, they, they didn't have perfect lives, but things would happen, situations would happen, and there'd be something that was firm about them. There'd be a peace, there'd be like a steadfastness in them. And so I'd speak to them, I'd try and find out about their lives, see if they had really easy lives. But no, there'd be people who had been in drug addictions, who had self-harmed, who had been suicidal, who had been abused, who had had such horrible things happen in their lives. And you know, they, they'd had sandy lives. Sometimes they'd built them, their, their lives on the sand. But when they encountered Jesus, when they encountered the words of Jesus, and when they put their faith, they put their life and they stood on Him, God started to transform them, started to change them. And their foundation is firm, not because their life is easy, but because of who Jesus is. And that encouraged me to really see Jesus and to test if he is a firm foundation, to see for myself. And so Jesus has helped me through grief and low self-esteem and insecurities and so much more. And he wants to do the same for you. So I encourage you, Speak to people, speak to your youth leaders, speak to people at DTI, find out their stories, find out what Jesus has done in, in their lives so that you can recognize the rock because it actually transforms you. It can help you deal with your own struggles when Jesus speaks into your life. Now the words of Jesus carry authority and they carry wisdom from a place of actually knowing what is best for us because Jesus not only created you, but he created the world around you. And so he came into this world to bring this kingdom of light so that we could stand firm in this time and in this generation. And look, you guys can listen to any kind of voice. You can listen to the voice of social media. You can listen to the voice of the people around you. You can listen to the voice of your feelings and emotions. Like if you have something negative that happens to you, you could shut off your emotions like I used to do. If you feel lonely, you could turn to porn, you could turn to masturbation, you could turn to comfort eating. But the thing about these things are that they are resources. And why would we look to a resource when we have the source, when we have the word, when we have the rock that Jesus provides, when he can speak into our heart, into our situations, and he can bring us transformation. My brother, he recently bought my mom an iPhone and she called me up and was like, Lara, I don't know how to use this. I can't. And she didn't know how to turn on her data, right? Now, I'm, I'm actually team Android, anyone? Hey, there's hope for our future. We love it, we love it. Shh, you booers. Anyway, let me not go on an Apple rant. But she called me and said she couldn't figure out how to turn on her data. And so I could probably figure it out, right? I'm sure with Apple phones, you just use a number of fingers and swipe from some corner. Um, or I could, I could Google it, I could troubleshoot it, and there are people who could help her figure, out, figure this out. But when you are the creator, when you are the engineer, when you are the technician, the one who created something, you know best. Like any kind of issue, any kind of problem, when you've created this, you know how to figure it out. You can give the word, the verdict, the truth, the solution. And that is what we find in Jesus. 
Jesus knows each and every one of you better than anyone else, better than you even know yourself. He sees your circumstances. He sees your struggle. He sees the wind. He sees the streams. He sees the rain. And he wants to help you troubleshoot and to stand firm. So why would we stand on anything else? Why would we go to a resource when we have the source? So we need to recognize the rock. Point number two, you ready to repeat after me? Yeah? Read the word. Read the yes, there we go. It's a given, right? If this carries truth, if these are the words of Jesus, we need to read it. Like we need to actually listen to what Jesus has to say into our situations. In that parable, Jesus said, everyone who hears these words of mine. Now for me, I grew up Christian. Maybe some of you have. I believed in God. But I would say that I lived quite a sandy lifestyle. My foundation was quite sandy. Like I, I would hear people preach about the word. In fact, I could quote some of it myself. But I wouldn't say it was transforming me. I wouldn't say I had made it my foundation. So I didn't really listen to what God had to say about grief. And so... My emotions switched off and I wasn't really sure what to do with that. And I didn't listen to what God had to say about, about my worth. And so I found worth in people pleasing and trying to be better than other people, especially when it came to my education. Because I thought if I could be better than people, then that means I'm worth something. And I, I, I found stability in the way that I dealt with conflict. And so I would either cut people off or if I really cared about them, and someone offended me, I wouldn't know what to say in situations. I just wouldn't say anything. Instead, I'd just pretend like everything was okay. And that made me feel trapped at times, but I would rather feel that trapped nature than actually have to say something to someone. So the word wasn't transforming me, and it was really unhealthy. And I remember going away to uni, and after a year or so, I came to the realization that some of the ways that I was living, some of these things some of the sand that I built my life on was actually making me miserable. Like the winds were blowing, I was being pushed and I was being pulled and I was being tugged and my foundation was crumbling. And so one day I wrote an honest letter to God and I said, God, I feel broken, I feel lost, I feel voiceless. I'm trying to be a good person, I was trying to read my Bible in a year, but really because I was trying to earn God's love, I was just trying to tick, tick off the little boxes every day so I wasn't really taking it in or seeing it as a, as a way to actually meet God. And none of it was paying off. And so after I wrote that letter, I went to the student group that night. And instead of us doing what we usually did, they were like, here you go, have a Bible, go and read it. And they told us to go to Galatians 3. And in Galatians 3, it talks all about how we are not saved by our good works. We're not saved by the things that we do. We are saved by the grace of Jesus, by the unconditional, unmerited love of Jesus. It's all about what He has done for us. And He gives us His Spirit to live in us, to work through us. And that is what saves us. I didn't need to people please. I didn't need to try and earn God's love. I didn't need to try and go through the Bible like it was a textbook. I just needed to accept what Jesus had done for me. I just needed to stand on the firm foundation that he gave his life to provide for us. And so it's a simple message of grace, but I didn't actually understand it until I read the word, until I actively listened to what Jesus was saying into my situation. And that was a light bulb moment for me. And it be began a change and made me think, hmm, perhaps, maybe, 
this whole word of God thing is important. Maybe God speaks through it. And so that was a journey for me. And God has something to say for each and every one of you. If you're anxious about life, the Bible says, cast your cares on the Lord for he cares about you. If you're lonely, the Bible says, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. If you're grieving or hurt, the Bible said, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. And the Lord is near to the brokenhearted. If you feel directionless, like you don't know what your future holds, the Lord says he has a plan for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, to give you hope and a future. And if you're feeling worthless, the Bible says that you are fearfully and you are wonderfully made. And that is the truth. So we need to listen to what Jesus has to say. We need to look to him because when we fix our eyes on him, he fixes our eyes. Like when we fix our eyes on Jesus, he gives us new perspective into our situations, into our hurt, into our frustrations, into our loneliness. He gives us his vision. He gives us heavenly perspective. So we need to read the word because it's powerful and it's alive and it's active and it transforms lives. If in doubt and you don't know where to start, start with one of the gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they tell us about Jesus. And so you can start with the words of Jesus. So we've recognized the rock. We can read the word. And now our final point, which really is the difference between the house that was built on the sand and the house that was built on the rock. And this is to respond by actually putting it into practice. Jesus said, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And wisdom is applied knowledge. So what that basically means is that if someone gives you a piece of information, it's what you do with it. And when you act on it, that that's, what, that's what makes it wisdom. So I want everyone to imagine something for a second. Maybe even close your eyes. Yeah, everyone close your eyes. I want you to imagine that you are on a sinking ship and there's wind, and there's rain, and there's hail, and there's all this stuff going on around you. And the captain comes to you, and he's like, hey, here, take this life jacket. In fact, take, take this, this lifeboat as well. Here's a compass, here's a map, here's some food, and this is how, where you need to go. And instead of you to get off that sinking ship, you think, nah, I'm gonna stay here. I'm gonna sit right here. That is what Jesus calls foolishness. You can open your eyes if, if, if they're still closed. Yes, okay. That's what Jesus calls foolishness. When we listen to his word, when we listen to what he has to say, and we don't put it into practice, it's foolishness. And so a few weeks ago, I was in my living room, and I was sitting down, it was around midnight, and I was just reading my Bible, and I saw something out of the corner of my eye. Now, I've got a Nigerian mom. Any, any Nigerians in here? Right, so my mom, she's a prayerful lady. Stuff like that, you you don't see that and you don't pray. So I started praying and then I moved on. And a few minutes later, I saw something out of the corner of my eye again and I looked and it was a mouse. There was a mouse in my living room. So I went, oh, and I didn't want to wake up my housemate, but I ran upstairs, I texted her, told her there's a mouse in our house, messaged our landlords as well. And our landlords put in our group chat and they said, okay, don't worry, we'll give you money, we'll pay for it, and we want you to call pest control, sort it out, happy days. But then when I spoke to my housemate, I clarified with her what I saw, and she was like, you said it was a rat. It's not a rat, it's a mouse. They're very different things. But I didn't realize that. I thought they were all just all the same, but they're not. 
So anyway, I thought, okay, well, may, if it's just a little mouse, we could probably deal with it ourselves. So I bought some mouse traps, I like, set it all up, which in hindsight, I Googled, I did everything wrong. Like I gave them the wrong food, I touched it, which puts my human scent on it, I just, I messed it all up. I was like, this is fine. I just won't go in the living room, trap set, happy days. Ten days later, two days before my birthday, I'm in my room, my sacred space, just chilling, you know, praying, eyes closed, and I hear something rustle, and I'm like, mm-mm, please, no. I open my eyes and find my bin is a rat. No, sorry, mouse. They're not the same thing. There's a mouse in my room, so I'm like, ah! Run downstairs, I call my sister, no, I, I text my sister and my housemate telling them what happened. And then, again, I see another one in the living room, and I'm like, oh my goodness, like, I'm not safe, this house is like colonized, and so I stood on the sofa, I video called my sister, she was on the phone to me for like an hour and a half, just trying to calm me down, I was like, I can't sleep here, what have I done, this and that, and in the back of my mind, I just thought of my landlords, because my landlords, they had given me the word, they'd given me the authority, they'd even given me the money to sort this problem, but instead I chose to ignore it and to try and sort this for myself, and for 10 days it worked, but 10 days later, I found myself in a bit of a situation. How many times do we hear God's word? Do we come to places like DTI and Jesus speaks into our lives and he tells us things that he has for us. He tells us the truth about our lives, the truth about who he is. And then we don't put it into practice when we leave. It goes in one ear and out the other. Putting it into practice means listening to what Jesus has to say about us and doing something with it. It's the truth that Jesus has equipped us with. So what can it look like to put this into practice? You can pray and lay down your worries and your burdens before the Lord when you feel stressed and you feel overwhelmed. You can put it into practice by loving your enemies and praying for those who persecute you, those who offend you, and going on a journey with the Lord of forgiveness. That's putting it into practice. You can put it into practice by instead of suppressing your emotions when you're grieving or you're hurting or you're mourning or running by letting Jesus in and going on a journey of mourning with him, being with you. You can speak God's truth over your life and over your situations when you feel the opposite, when you can't, clear, you can't see at all what Jesus has to say about you, when you can't see how that could be real. You speak it by faith because you know that he's a rock and that we stand on the sand. I know for me, back in 2020, mid-pandemic, there was a point where, my goodness, life was tough. Like, I was still living in Bournemouth, George Floyd had just been murdered, and I was dealing with all of the grief that came with that situation. I'd just finished my youth qualification, and wasn't sure what I was supposed to do with it, because everything was locked down, and I wasn't sure if I should stay in Bournemouth or I should move back to London. In terms of a job, because every, lots of things closed down, I was furloughed. I was in the middle of moving house and I had door after door after door closed in my face. I had a falling out with my mom, so family-wise, that was really rough. And the words that were said that were like a knife in my heart. And then even physically, all of this stuff piled on top of each other. I mean, I was so stressed that I was clenching on my teeth when I was sleeping. And so I'd wake up and I had locked jaws and I couldn't really open my mouth properly. Like the winds were strong. The tug was really tugging. There was a lot going on. But I remember one day, I sat in my friend's room 
And I just called out to God and I was like, God, I need a word. I need a reminder of this foundation that I can build my life on. And God dropped a verse in my head. It's Psalm 46, one to three, which says, the Lord is my refuge and strength an ever present help in times of trouble. So I will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. And that verse was such a comfort. So how did I put it into practice? I would pray it. I would pray that whenever I felt overwhelmed. And in fact, I wrote a song with it so that I could sing it in those situations to remind me of that truth. When it came to me feeling overwhelmed or fearful or about the future or frightened, I would remind myself that God is a firm foundation and that I can trust him so that I wouldn't panic. I would remind myself of that verse when it came to figuring out how to speak to my mom and how to resolve this conflict. And you know what? God showed himself to be firm. He showed himself to be a true foundation. Conflict was resolved. The ideal house was provided. God showed me what he wanted me to do next and where that would be. And so I did the DTI internship last year, like Susie said. And then now I'm back in London as a youth pastor. And I'm here today, I guess. And... Oh, <laughs> And in complete honesty, I don't feel like I came out of it feeling battered and bruised and abused. I came out of it with a firmer faith that this rock that Jesus offers us, when we stand on it, he, he really, really means what he says, that he really is a firm foundation. And that is the truth for this generation. Whatever the winds and the rains and the streams look like in your life, when you recognize the rock, when you recognize just who Jesus is and how much wiser and how much authority is in his words and that it's wiser than ours. When you read the word and you listen to what Jesus wants to say into your life, into your situations, and when you respond by putting it into practice in your life, you will stand firm. And that's not to say that the winds won't keep blowing. That's not to say that it won't be hard. But part of the idea of putting something into practice means that it might be a process. There might be steps. You might have to keep reminding yourself of what Jesus is saying. But Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is firm, and so he's not going anywhere. He's not changing. He's got grace for you. So keep going back. Keep reminding yourself of what Jesus has to say into your life. So as followers of Jesus, we have this key, and we can stand firm. And when we do, when we push through, then we can change this generation, right? We can be pillars of hope in our different spheres of influence, in the different building blocks of the house that we have. We can be pillars of change in our families, in our friendship groups, when it comes to our mental health and the mental health of people around us. Jesus can give us words to speak into the lives of other people. We can be people in this generation who aren't changed by it, but who change it, who are lights, the light that Jesus has given us. You know, when Jesus was on this world, he said that he is the light of the world. But then he went on to say that you are the light of the world. You are a city on a hill. So when we learn to stand firm, when we put into practice the things that Jesus gives us, then we get to be that light and we can see the situations around us change. So I asked you at the start, do you want to be a generation that stands firm? And I'm gonna ask you again, do you want to be a generation that can stand firm?